Hear the reading of God's word from Mark 9, verses 2 through 13. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. There appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. They didn't know what to say, for they were terrified. The cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. They asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? He said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. Let me pray. Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But the truth is, we don't give credence to that statement that the psalmist said. Our word is a lamp to our feet. Our word is a light to our path. This morning, Lord, may we humble ourselves, believing that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Give us your words. May we listen to them, submitting to them, that we might have life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You may have heard the nursery rhyme. That's not nursery rhyme, but the, the playground rhyme. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. There's a lot of kids in here. You guys know that rhyme? You heard that one? Well, let me just tell you, kids, it's the biggest lie on the playground that there is. It is the biggest lie. Why? Because words have incredible power. Not long after I got off the playground, I was in high school and, and, and had an infatuation with Don Hayes. I pursued Don Hayes like crazy. But I became a man in the friend zone. You know the friend zone. It's the one where, the, where, the, where you're just the friend that the girl goes to and, and talks about all her problems. That was me. And you know why she came to me with all her problems? Richie Wilkerson. <laughs> hate that guy. I don't really hate him. I, I kind of do. But one summer, while we were away from each other, Don and I, our relationship felt like it was moving out of the friend zone into the boyfriend zone. It was very exciting. And when we got to, back together after being away from the summer, she said, I think there's something here. And you can imagine my heart started palpitating really quick. Finally, it's happening. Three days later, she pulled me aside. I can't just do it. Richie. Oh, Richie Wilkerson, you got me again. Words have power. And I, 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 I make fun of that now. But you should have seen me the day that I found out that Richie Wilkerson was still a thing in her life and I wasn't going to be a part of her life. I was crushed. I remember Nick Robin consoling me 
um, as a friend um, because those words cut deep into my heart. It was like I didn't matter. You see, words have incredible power. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will hurt you. Words will hurt you. How have words hurt you in your life? Have they damaged your, your heart and your soul? Have they damaged your being? I don't, even, I don't even have to hear from you. I know that they have. I know that they have. Words have power. But words also have the power to build you up, to make you who you are, to be a better uh, businessman, to be a better mom, to be a better husband, a wife, a better son or daughter. Words have incredible power to build you up not just tear you down. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I have a dream. Those words written etched in our memories as an American society brought about societal change in the 60s. I have a dream. Brought up a nation out of, brought a nation out of segregation. Because words have power. Just two weeks ago, Brett Favre was inducted into the Hall of Fame. Football, Pro Football Hall of Fame. And as is customary in the Pro Football Hall of Fame induction ceremony, the football player gets up and, and, and gives a speech. And Brett Favre's a good old boy from Kilm, Mississippi. I mean, just kind of like, uh, you, know, you know, Stuttgart, Arkansas. You know, like, just, he is from a small town. And he just told story after story like a good southerner would. Just story, you know, just stories. But as he was talking um, about uh, his stories and the stories that have made him who he was, he told a story of his dad. Now, his dad wasn't this great um, father. In fact, he was probably really hard on Brett. And that's probably why this story stands out so much, because he was always so hard on him. But the story he tells that made such a big impact in his life is a story following one of the games. And his dad was his coach. His dad was his head, the head coach of his football team. And, and he goes, I don't really know what happened during this game, but I remember sitting outside the locker room listening to my dad talk to the other coaches about the game. And I, I guess I didn't, as he said, I guess I didn't have that great of a game. But he heard his dad say these words to the other coaches, and it changed him forever. He said, I can, this was Irv Favre talking about Brett, I can assure you one thing about my son. He will play better. He will redeem himself. I know my son. He has it in him. Brett goes on to say, that, that's as good of a compliment I ever got from my dad. And my chest swelled up that day. And I spent the rest of my career trying to redeem myself. I think Brett Favre redeemed himself, considering the fact he was standing at a Hall of Fame speech for a pro football. He redeemed himself. Because words have the power to build you up. Which calls into question this thing. Who are you listening to? If words have such incredible power, who are you listening to? Mark 9, it couldn't be clear what the purpose of Mark 9, 2 through 13 is. And you can see it in verse 7. You have this sci-fi-like experience. Jesus being transfigured before Peter, James, and John. Moses and Elijah are before Jesus talking to him. You've got the cloud of the presence of God speaking what? This is my beloved Son, listen to him. And so the call to all of us in this room today is a call to listen to Jesus and to his words because his words 
have the power to radically change you and build you up. What I want to look at today is who Jesus is. And truth be told, who Jesus is is rather elementary. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. That's why this sermon is titled The ABCs of Jesus. The authority, Jesus is authoritative, Jesus is bold, and Jesus is comforting. The ABCs of Jesus, pretty simple. Let's dive in. Let's look at how Jesus is authoritative. Kids, if you have cell phones, right? I don't know if you have your kids. There's a lot of younger kids in this crowd. But the new rage for all the kids is Pokemon Go. Pokemon Go, right? I have no idea about Pokemon Go, right? Any kids do Pokemon Go? No Pokemon Go? Can I just see a show of hands? Got Larry. My friend Larry, he does Pokemon Go. I guess it doesn't necessarily apply. Whatever. Dang it. <laughs> but kids, are you going to go to your parents and ask them how to play a video game? No. They have no idea how to play a video game. They're not the authority on Pokemon Go, Super Mario Brothers. You're the authority on Pokemon Go and Mario Brothers. You tell them what to do. Why? Authority makes all the difference to who you're listening to. In this passage, I think one of the things that this, this whole scripture is doing is it's the transfer of authority from Moses and Elijah and the written words that they, they did to Jesus. The imagery is, is astounding that we, we encounter here between this passage and the giving of the law in Exodus. On a mountain, the presence of God on, on the cloud. Moses is even there. Moses and Elijah are there. I mean, who are Moses and Elijah? What's the significance of Moses and Elijah being in this passage? Moses was the great uh, priest, the one who God gave the law to. He was the one who told Israel the law. I mean, if there's an authoritative person in, the, in, in Jude, Judaism, it's Moses. You always look to Moses. He's the authority here. And then what about Elijah? Elijah was the great prophet. The prophet who applied the law to the kings of Israel. An incredible authority. He's the one who actually, like, prophets were the ones who, who christened kings. Samuel christened uh, Saul and David. I mean, the role of a prophet was a great authority figure. So why are Moses and Elijah in the presence of Jesus on this mountain where the presence of God is there and a voice calls out? It's because the transfer of authority from Moses and Elijah was going to Jesus. What a powerful moment in the life of redemptive history. Jesus, this is my beloved son, said God out of the cloud. Listen to him. The question I have for us today, and many of us, many of us in this room, I don't know, I don't know you very well, but my guess is many of us say, you know what, we bow the knee to Jesus. We listen to him. But I want to pump the brakes on, on you just assuming that, that Jesus is the authority of your life. I want you to do that. Because I want us to spend some time looking at what Jesus says to, for you to actually see if Jesus is actually your authority. God has given Jesus the authority of life. And he's called us to listen to him. Are you listening?
to him today. Well, I want to get to the, the B, the boldness of Jesus. So if you will, let's look at Jesus' boldness. You've heard of the Stepford Wives, right? The movie, the movies, the two movies. One, I think it was in the 60s, and then one most recently, uh, you know, 2010, something like that, Stepford Wives. Well, the premise of the Stepford Wives is this. The men from Stepford, Connecticut, were tired of their wives, and so they decided that they were going to turn their wives into robots to meet their needs, to be, to be just a great servant. And it's kind of a joke, because, and it's ironic, because oftentimes we, treat our, you know, we expect our husbands or wives to be like the Stepford Wives. But one of the things that you would say about the Stepford Wives in the movie and the, the things like that is that the relationship that exists between the wives, the wives, and the husbands is that it lacked intimacy, it lacked connection, it lacked love. And here's why, why I say the Stepford Wives, because relationships where boldness isn't a part of it is not a relationship at all. It's a self-serving relationship like a Stepford wife to a husband. And Jesus, one of the things that we see in this text, Jesus is incredibly bold. And we, not just in this text. In fact, I would say this text, it's a small inference to his boldness. And we'll look at that in just a second. But we see it all throughout his teachings. He's incredibly bold. And there's a purpose behind this. And I want to look at this right now. After Jesus is done uh, on the mountain, he comes down, verse 9, he's coming down from the mountain and he looks at the disciples and he says, all right, don't tell anyone about this. Now, put yourself in Peter, James, and John's shoes for just a moment. You just saw Moses and Elijah. Don't tell anyone about that. Are you crazy? I just saw the presence of God. I heard the presence of God. I heard God himself speak about you. This is my beloved son. Yeah, don't talk about that. I'm sorry, what? I mean, as Americans, we love to tweet or, or Facebook about the, 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 the exciting news events of the day. Don't tell, you, you, if, if something amazing happened to you, we just won the lottery. Yeah, you can't tell anyone about the lottery. Uh, that's pretty bold to say after having encountered that for Peter, James, and John. Now, I love it. The disciples obeyed him, and you would too, having just heard the voice of God. Hey, listen to him. And the first thing out of his mouth are, hey, don't tell anyone. Okay, we can do that. I can do that. <laughs> I can do that. Hey, good job, disciples. Hey, they get a bad rap sometimes. But, but think about that. That's, all, that's bold words for Jesus to say. But that's not the only bold thing that we encounter in this passage. Look at, look at the second part in verse 9. It said, don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man had been risen from the dead. You don't, you, know, you don't have to be in the church very long to understand, and maybe you need to be out of the church for a little while to realize just how profound a statement like rising from the dead really is. Hopefully from the pulpit you hear of the resurrection of the dead all the time, and hopefully those words just become you know, routine words, but don't let those words become routine in the sense that this. What a profound statement. The pastors today that speak of, hey, I can raise people from the dead, are the pastors on, on air from 4 a.m. to 6 a.m.? They're the ones you roll your eyes to. They're the ones you go, oh, yeah, yeah. But here Jesus is talking about rising from the dead. It's bold. Don't tell anyone what you just saw 
until, you, until the Son of Man has been risen from the dead. I mean, those are bold words. Rise from the dead? I don't think anyone of us can say, rise from the dead. You know, I, I mentioned this earlier. These are just examples of Jesus' boldness in his life. I want to read some other examples of Jesus' bold words. Luke 14, 26, 27. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. <laughs> okay. John 6, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Okay. Jesus' ministry is defined by boldness. And that can be incredibly hard for you and I to listen to. Go back to that statement that I said. Is Jesus the authority of your life? If you've never been challenged by Jesus' ministry, by his bold words, I will, I'm telling you right now, you are not making Jesus the author of your life. He is not the authority of your life. If the boldness of Jesus isn't challenging how you're living and who you are, Jesus says bold things. Now, why does Jesus say bold things? Because um, bold words can be really hard. In fact, I just got off the phone. My, my, my nephew played his first tackle football game yesterday. And, and to hear the praise that he's been getting from his coaches all summer long, like he's the greatest and all this stuff. And, you know, I'm going, okay, let's, again, let's pump the brakes on that, buddy. Um, had his first football game yesterday, and it did not go well. They didn't score a touchdown. And I asked him, you know, what, what did your coach say? He goes, oh, he berated me. He berated me. And <laughs> bold words, obviously, you see that oftentimes in coaching. So, Jack, you know why he's saying that. Yeah, because he loves me. Yeah, okay. You don't believe that, obviously. <laughs> but why does Jesus say bold words? It is because he loves you. I mean, let's, let's go back to the text we just read. Why is Jesus telling his disciples, let's not tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has risen from the dead? Why are his bold words for our good? And there's two reasons why his, his boldness is for our good. First, it's this, that we are not privy to all that's going on in this world. We just don't know. Like, we have a hard enough time keeping track of our own schedule and calendar, let alone what's going on in the world, let alone knowing what other people are going to do. And so Jesus tells them this, to not tell them for this reason. Think about this. If the disciples went to their fellow disciples, followers of Jesus, and said, you should have seen what we had seen, what would have happened? Two things. They would have been like, yeah, nice try. You didn't see that. Or they would have believed him, and they would have made Jesus a king. And they would have put him on a throne. And they would have said, here we are. We've got our great Messiah. He's our king. We're going to follow him. And they're going to put him on a throne. And they're going to, they're going to worship him, but not in the way that Jesus wanted to be worshipped. Because in, in reality, and we know this now, looking back on Jesus' life, Jesus was not going to an earthly throne. He was going to a heavenly throne. But to get to the heavenly throne, he had to die first. 
And he had to go through suffering and pain. Had the disciples been able to convince people that Jesus is the true author of life, he is the one that we should be uh, giving authority to, he would have been on the throne on earth made by man. But Jesus has a different way. Jesus can think greater than us. Jesus knows better than us. And so he asks us, pump, you know, pump the brakes on telling people. But there's a second reason. The second reason that Jesus uses bold words for us is this. We are too stubborn and too naive to really listen to what he says. And we need strong language to waken us to our errors and our faults and our sins. What a gift Jesus gives to us in his bold words. Truly, what a gift. I mean, those, they're hard words, but they're really good. Because the reality is, you and I, we, we love our mom and dad. We, we, want, we love ourselves. We love, and Jesus, well, he's awakening us to the truth that we are sinful. When I was in college, um, I, I went through the motions, the motions of college. Um, I wasn't a party animal, but I enjoyed this, the, the social aspect of college, um, just doing it and kind of just going through the motions of college. And I remember one of my classes, I was a junior, my junior year of college, one of my classes, it was called diversity in sport, and I really didn't take it serious at all. The homework was assigned, and I just, I just got it done. Uh, made sure the spelling was right, but other than that, I, I gave no thought to really what I was doing. And I remember uh, the teacher um, getting upset with not just me, but the entire class um, with, with our lackadaisical effort. And he said some really bold things. He said, he said you guys write like a bunch of fifth graders, and you're in college. And he just laid into us. And I just remember sitting there going, Ooh. But you know what it did? It awoken in me the reality that I was not giving my education the proper respect to it. And I remember the assignments following that uh, bold words, really taking time to think through my writing, to think through what I was saying and, to, and figure that out. And I remember um, the final written project we had. It was a big thesis paper that we had to do, and I worked, I worked really hard on that. And when I got my paper back after turning it in and looking at my grade, on the front of my paper was the letter B. And it was the best B I had ever got. I worked hard, and the point was made, hey, Sometimes bold words are for our own good. And Jesus' bold words are certainly for our own good. Because we don't really understand all that's going on. And we're too stubborn to really see our own sin. And we need to be awakened to that. Is Jesus a step for God? No. And that, my friends, opens the door for an intimate relationship for a loving relationship. Because a relationship devoid of boldness is no relationship at all. But I want us to end with the letter C. Because boldness can be hard. And we all have different filters 
on how we experience boldness. But you need to know this. Jesus is also comforting. He's authoritative, he's bold, but he's comforting. How are words comforting? I mean, that's a question worth considering. How are words comforting? Words are only comforting if they're backed by action. When a mother looks at her daughter and says, I'm going to be at your dance recital, that might give a little girl hope and comfort in the moment. But if the mom doesn't show up to the dance recital, what good are those words? Words are only comforting if they're backed by actions. We see this, the last two verses in the text. Look with me in these texts, and, and, and it's, I, I want to explain this, but the last two verses are incredibly comforting to the disciples' ears and to you and I. Let me read them. Verse, verse 12. And Jesus said to them, Oh, they're asking, how does, why did the scribes say that Elijah must come? That's verse 11. And Jesus, in response to their question, says, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. So it's kind of difficult at first to figure out, how, how are these words comforting? But let me, let me summarize this, these three... A statement, a question, and a statement, what Jesus says. So Jesus says a statement, he asks a question, and then says another statement. How do we understand those three things? Jesus is saying this. The restoration of all things is in your midst right now. But it isn't coming the way you'd expect it or you think it. It's actually coming through me suffering and dying and being raised to life. The restoration of all things is among you. The restoration of all things is among you. You know, I, I, I'll just take the, the, the prayers of what you guys prayed for, the two, the two individuals who are sick. I mean, I could hear the emotion in the voices. We long for the restoration of all things. But if restoration of all things, the promise of restoration of all things is just words, then it's not that comforting. It's not. How are Jesus' comforting words backed by action? Look at verse 9. I want you to draw your attention. He charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. How do we know this story right now? The disciples ended up telling the story. They obeyed Jesus in the time, but they eventually told this story because it got into, the, into a book about Jesus. So what must have happened? The Son of Man raised from the dead. You long for the restoration of all things? I do too. I long for health. I long for justice to prevail. I long for, for sickness to be eradicated. I long for these things. But talking about these things do no good. But looking at a resurrected Lord does. Jesus' words are always backed by actions, particularly 
his comforting words. Do you know those comforting words? And do you know that they're always backed by action? That Christ died for you, suffered for you, that Christ was raised for you, that you might know that the restoration of all things is amongst you. These are comforting words. Comforting words. Comforting words are vital to life. Uh, there's a new show on Netflix. Uh, don't hear this as a, you know, you need to go watch this. This is just telling you what, what I watched on the show. It's called Last Chance You. It's, the, it's, a, it's a reality um, show about East Mississippi Community College football team. And they go through the season following this team. And one of the things that they follow is the head coach. And the head coach, one of the first things you realize, he says not just bold things, but terrible things about his players. But then when he's interviewed, he says, I love my guys. I do that because I love them. And you go, huh? You don't really love them. You love yourself, and you want them to serve you. I mean, that, that's as clear as I can see it from the show. And it's, it's really sad. And maybe you've had someone who's been incredibly bold in your life, but they say they love you, but they don't back it up by actions. And it's really hard to believe them. Well, you do not have that coach as a savior. Jesus says bold things, but he also says incredibly comforting things. And he backs those comforting things up by his own actions. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. for My burden is light. You can trust. When Jesus says comforting words, you can trust him. Because they're always backed up by actions. All right, let me conclude. If you were to ask me who, who's had the most influence on my life, the most powerful person in my own life, besides maybe my wife, and that's you know, the last eight, ten years that we've been together, but my life, I'd tell you it's my dad. And dads have a natural authoritative position in all of our lives. They're our dads. They change our diapers. They read our stories. They take us to soccer practice. They love us, all those things. And my dad was, was like that. He was my authority, just naturally authoritative in my life. And one of the things that I loved about my dad was he was always there for me. He was comforting. He was, he was uh, uh, you know, talked to me about my life. He was at my ball games. I loved my dad for that. And because of that, he had an incredible influence in my life. But my dad wasn't perfect, just like the dads in this room aren't perfect, just like I'm not a perfect dad. And one of the th faults of my dad was that he was, he was not bold. He, was not, he, he rarely spoke truth into my life. And I sort of resented him for that. I wanted to be challenged. And he and I have talked about that. But if my dad is able to have that kind of influence and power in my life, broken as he is, what kind of power does a Savior who has the natural authority, the true boldness that is loving, and the comfort and the compassion of Jesus, what kind of power does that person have in your life? My friends, that person gives you the power for life. That person is someone worth listening to. And my plea with you today is to listen to Jesus.
Lord, as difficult as it is to listen to you, whether it be our ignorance, our sin, whatever it may be, soften our hearts, humble our minds, show us yourself, that we might see your beauty and the good that you have for us in your word, that we might have life. Your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. And that path, Jesus, is a path to life. I pray for Trinity Fellowship. I pray for myself that we would submit ourselves to your words, following after you. I specifically pray for them in this season of transition from one pastor to another. I pray that they would um, have wisdom, that they would know um, your will for their congregation. Give them a pastor who loves your word, submits himself to you, and calls this church to submit to you that we may have life. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for who you are. Amen.